50. Yeah, 50. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Hello again, fellow basement dwellers. This is your good friend, Patrick O'Dowd, welcoming you in to another edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Episode 50, walking down to our one-year anniversary in two weeks. We got three shows to, to, to wrap up the villain project, which will culminate in our one-year anniversary show. Oh, oh, a lot of breath. Hold on a sec, let me. Little, I got a little excited, fellas. Got a little, got a, got a little worked up thinking about thinking about anniversaries, and I'm more emotional about that than my wedding anniversary. So, uh, <laughs> is it, what like is a, it in pod? Like a, true, in, like a true nerd, right? Well, and what is it in? Uh, and gentlemen, uh, you know, welcome in our our recording partners, David Ungar and Ray Cash here. Uh, what is it? What do, you, what do you get somebody for their one-year podcast anniversary? Because, like, one-year wedding anniversary is, like, paper. So is it, like, um, like I don't know. Is there, like, a it's crappy not, free app you give people? It's not getting canceled. Yeah. Yeah, well. Making it one year, that has a, a lot to uh, be thankful for. For a lot of podcasts don't get this far. That's true. And so maybe we should thank the people that put us on the air. And that is our good friend, Greg DeMarco. No, just kidding. It's the ChairShot Radio Network uh, on the ChairShot.com where you can catch Bandwagon Nerds every Monday. We are rocking and rolling today. Dave, you, you know, 50 episodes, two to go to one year. I thought we'd be done by 22. I didn't think we'd get to 25. <laughs> well, I mean, I think... First off, yeah, this is a big, big milestone for us. 50, 50, 50 episodes. That's um, that's pretty cool. I mean, even if it's not the one year anniversary quite yet, I mean, fifty is still a big number out there as far as podcast. When do we get go. to? When do we get to sell? When do we get to sell for syndication? Uh, whenever like, Greg says we can. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, when can, when can we keep not making money on this podcast? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I, I think if you look back at the tra- trajectory of the podcast and where it started and the concept when it started to where it has now ended up right i mean honestly if somebody had told you a year ago here's what you guys would be doing with the show in a year from now i would have said yeah probably not man i don't think that's too likely but you know that's that's the great thing about anybody we've all done podcasts so you know that they are they are never very linear they always go in weird directions and take twists and turns, whether it's, you know, Ray's show, whether it's Attitude of Aggression, whether it's Greg's show, 
or any of the other ones. And this one has been no exception. And, and, and I don't think we anticipated a global pandemic shutting everything down. And the fact that we've been able to keep pumping out good content for a year in, in the face of all this stuff is, is a, uh, I think we bury Horowitz and pat ourselves on the back and thank you, Ray. That's right. So I'm yeah, because it's all me, baby. It is. It is all you. And I, I'm proud of what we've accomplished this year in uh, 50 episodes. That's 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 I something, know. man. It is. So you know, nothing nothing fancy on the agenda this week, fellas. Like I said, we're we're just gonna keep going with the villain project. And this week was a little bit of a challenging list. Before we get to that, though, I did want to share a quick story. Uh, I had I told you guys before before the episode, what I was doing, um, before we started recording. Uh, but I had like this big emotional dad moment and I, and I wanted to share it with you and the listeners and, and just the future of my child being a, a fellow nerd, the little O'Dowd and I, uh, we took it upon ourselves this week to watch the entire dark Knight trilogy, Christopher Nolan's dark Knight trilogy. And my kid and, this, and, it, and it took me a moment to finally to, to be this actually made pe- help me make peace with a moment in the movies that I was always kind of like meh about the little O'Dowd marked out the hardest when the big revelation of Joseph Gordon Levitt's character's given name was and he got the and he found the Batcave to the point where the kid was like, so when's the Robin movie? And I had to break it to him that there was no Robin movie. That 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 was it. Yet. I think I mean Nolan ain't gonna do it. No. Somebody'll do anyway. it. Somebody might do it eventually. But but yeah, that's cool. I mean, I love the end of uh, Dark Knight Rises. That's that that scene in the cafe and where are they? In France where Michael Caine shows up and just that little nod of acknowledgement between him and Bruce at the end is one of the great ways to close out one of the all-time fantastic trilogies. But yeah, the stuff with uh with Robin and and the, you know the Batcave existing uh and them him discovering it. Uh that's cool that uh, what did he think of the whole trilogy? I mean, it's So he never he never watched it before. Uh, he 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 has this sense of when he thinks he shouldn't be watching something on the television. And so there were a couple of moments during during the filming where he was like okay, this is starting to get a little darker than I think I'm supposed to watch. And so he like went away. Uh, for example, particularly in the dark night, you know, the Heath Ledger, he's got the knife in the, in the mouth of the gangster. And is talking about how he got his scars. The little O'Dowd walked away and he came back. And I was like, they don't show it. He's like, Oh, sat through the pencil scene. No problem. But I think it was because it was so sudden and such a surprise, but here's how I know he's going to be a nerd just like me. There are a couple of points during this whole trilogy where he looked at me and he started picking apart the logic of the movie. <laughs> and the and there were the three examples that I loved where the first one was we get to Harvey Dent turning into Two-Face and he looks at me and he's like his eyes shouldn't be in like good shape. Like it should be all burnt and messed up too. Why is it normal? And I'm like, "Oh, but well, burn all the skin." He's like, "No. He was in a fire." That eye should be messed up. And I was like, okay, touche. Then he was like, Bane only fights with his fists, and that's stupid. Why is he only p- trying to punch Batman? And last but not least, as the uh, as the mushroom cloud rises, he's like, it would have taken way more than one of those to destroy all of Gotham. And I was like, you think so? 
He's like, yeah, look at it. It's not big enough at all. Would it take at least three? And I'm like, you're eight. Why are you thinking about fusion bombs and its radius at this age? I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> but it was so much like I saw me. I, I got a little emotional. I was like, that's my, that's my boy. That's my boy. I'm so proud of him. Should be. That, that, that's 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 hopeful. I mean, I my my son could care less about superheroes or any of that stuff. I don't know where I went wrong, but I say that about a lot of things. Anyway, onward. It's crazy. I never thought about those three moments because I'm sitting there thinking like, Bane only does fight with his fists. <laughs> right? Mushroom cloud. Harvey did lay on that floor with all the gas for a while. I'm sitting there really processing this kid is smarter than me. Huh. The eyes of a child, they see things we don't. You know how it goes. Dead people, he, uh, stuff like that. He he was, but he was very, yeah, he was very, very excited uh, to watch the the trilogy. He's been jumping around the house. He's been doing this thing now. So our house is a split-level home, right? So we got multiple small flights of stairs. And uh, we have this one flight of stairs that goes from the kitchen down to the family room area that's about six steps tall. And he keeps just doing like the Batman leap from like the fifth stair to the floor and doing the land on the knees, all like superhero landing style. Yeah. Um, But you know, Batman always does it with both hands on the ground, you know, not the single fist into the ground sort of thing. So he's doing a Batman style. So basically your kid's gonna, he's going to be Batman when he gets older and like beat up criminals with an injury. I mean, I have hopes. Like a piece of bread. Yeah. I have hopes. All right. Life goals. It does. So this week's villain project topic in our top 10 this week's, I have been laid out there now. Before, before we go to the villain project, I did want to acknowledge another piece of history that happened this week, which seemed very unlikely. So for the first time ever in the nerd review, a unanimous perfect score was issued by Patrick and I, which if you've read any of our nerd reviews and seen some of the disparity in the scores we've had, uh, you would say, no way could that ever happen. Well, the magnificent Flash Gordon has set a benchmark by delivering the first ever perfect score for Patrick and I. I did want to acknowledge and and just say, hey, there you go. I mean, that that's a momentous occasion. Uh, Thank you. Right. Did you watch it, Ray? Nope. Okay. I got his $11. No. Wow, that's there, that, that's that's, that's, that's valid. a bargain, it's worth, man. It's it's worth eleven dollars according to the nerd review. It's a five out of five movie. So I'll, I'll, I'll I don't know. I don't promise. know. I, but I, I'm sorry, real quick. To your point, I did start watching The Mandalorian for you guys. Excellent, excellent. Got How's that going? Five for days you? to get caught up. Well, look, man. I, so I had to stop because work is crazy. But right. um, I'm I'm five episodes in. I'm on the sixth, and I'm it's really good. So I, I, yeah, it's it's terrific. There's a couple of slowdown episodes in there where you kind of feel like you're treading water a little bit. But that's the show that kicked off our, our show reviews. That's the first one that we started watching. And so we are, that's going to be the next show we start reviewing once we get past the villain project, which we're going to do something I don't like because I want the villain project and I know us. I know how we go. Last week's show, two hours talking about movies. I anticipate this one will not go two hours. Because I don't know how extensive our knowledge of independent comic book characters, other than we're going to fight over my number one, apparently. Not fight. <laughs> Spoiler this alert. Does. I will see where we are when we get to, because the last two portions of the villain project next week is DC. The week after that is Marvel. I can't see us 
not spending an inordinate amount of time talking about these characters to the point where I would rather us just have the show continue to be the villain project and wrap that up and then go into the Mandalorian. And maybe we may be an episode or two off. We may do like, like we don't like doing well, like I don't like doing, we may have to binge watch three episodes and just sort of catch us up the first week. And then we'll get on pace with the rest of the show. Uh, a lot of ins and outs. Disney is one of those that drops the shows weekly though. So that could work for us. So are we allowed to watch the episode you can I'm watch sure. you can watch them ahead okay. dave i know i know you got a lot of i got a house dude i got There's my a partner involved somebody got an animatronic child i'm not going to call it baby yoda this thing is actually Good as boy. as we you and i both think both think the whole baby yoda thing's overrated but this animatronic thing is actually cool when he uses the force patrick he raises his hand just like nice. in the show and, and i mean it makes this weird sound the dogs hate it they're like what the fuck is going on but uh, it's it's I got to give it to him. That's that's kind of cool. Twenty two to three Washington beating Dallas right now. Well, I, I don't Dallas, know if Mike McCarthy survives this year. No, he's Dallas is garbage. Right. The next two weeks will probably have a lot of the same villains. So it makes go faster than you think. No. OK. <laughs> experience. I know I, I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> Dave, Dave can back me up on this. There'll be, there'll be crossover, think... but, uh, you know, the discussion when you get to those villains is going to be, I mean, the, we're it's... talking, we're, th- this is right in all of our wheelhouses the next two weeks. This this week, eh, not so much, but a little bit here and there. Next week will be, next week will not be my wheelhouse so much. Dave, Dave and, and Ray, I'm sure the two of you will be a lot stronger on this because I've always said, I've long said, I'm a make mine Marvel guy. I never really bought. Uh, DC comic books very much. So I'm, I'm going to have what I would say is a very lay person DC villain list. Like you're going to look at my list and be like, Oh yeah, of course, of course. It's, that all, guy there. it's all, it's, it's all, it's all Batman villains. <laughs> no, I'm not, Joker, I'm not Batman. Clayface, Penguin, Catwoman. No. <laughs> Clayface. Even Freeze. what? Right. Mr. Clay, hey, Clayface is a, is a very underrated villain. I agree. And we could talk about that all next week on Bandwagon Nerds. This week, though, as I said, we're going to talk about independent comics and their villains. Because especially when you look at popular culture and some of the shows that are huge right now uh, on television, some things that have been made into movies. And I didn't even think of this uh, when I because I didn't. It, it's hard. It's hard to really wrap my brain around. There's a lot of indie indie comic movies out there that have pretty iconic villains on television. We talked about a few of them last week, Negan, Homelander. Those aren't DC Marvel characters and they're a huge deal. And so I felt like this is actually kind of going back to our roots a little bit, Dave, with the the kind of getting people on a bandwagon. These are some things, you know, that we're recommending folks, some comics we're recommending folks check out, read up on if you haven't read up on some of these are turning into shows in their own right. And so it's some good stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the villains we're going <laughs> to talk. Up your microphone. Sorry. Let's <laughs> look at it somewhere. Uh, you know, some of the um, villains we're going to be talking about are really iconic in their, in their own right. Different than the mainstream. A lot of these could, uh, these like, okay, I wish this was a show. I wish they would turn this into a show. Um, you know, you just mentioned Homelander tell you right now he's not on my list probably should have been didn't even think about it until we started talking about it but but he's a complex and difficult 
person to place as a villain. But anyway, I'm not going to change my list now. Start crossing shit right. out. Oh, let me put Homelander. Well, no, fuck it. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and we could let's talk a little bit about how we made these lists real quick. Uh, just just to kind of give some folks some context. I didn't put a character on here from a comic I hadn't read on some level. Right. I just didn't think that was fair. Like I I admitted on the show a couple of weeks ago. I've never watched the I've never read the boys. And so all of my understanding of that character comes from the TV shows. And so that made this particularly difficult for for me to to put together because there's just when I when I started going through I was like, "Wow, I really haven't read as much as I thought I read." And so I think Ray, you were the one who when you were talking about putting your list together and how hard it was yeah, there was a joke about it. it's all about the loopholes. And so, yeah, how did so talk to tell take us through that? How did you put your list together? What, what were you trying to do? I was trying to, I, I looked at it like this um, when I made my list because I, I, I didn't realize there was uh, so I had to really kind of realize that as I was going through. So, my thought process was let me find some of the bigger indie comics and what are their arch enemies. Mm-hmm. Let's start there, and then we can narrow it down. And then I thought, okay, one thing that I don't know if either of you thought of is, we said comics, we didn't say American. I got some yeah. manga. Oh, look at you. That's a so, deep dive, folks. Deep diving. So I had hey. to think of things, but yeah, I had no to think right. of things I knew, maybe I hadn't read, but I knew right. of, I had seen in some capacity, and uh, I can explain even if but yeah, I had to. You really made me think on that. Hey, what about you? How did you How did you come to your list? Uh, well, I mean, I a lot like you, Patrick. I I didn't want to do anything that I hadn't at least read in some capacity. Um, you, you know, like a lot of these things, I wanted to go online and see kind of what other people had had come up with, uh, other ideas, other concepts. And surprisingly, there was not a whole lot out there for non Marvel or DC villains. I mean, there's a couple things here and there and, and watching him and reading him. I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. And I kind of used that and, and, and my own experiences with the comics that, that they talked about and, and just kind of put a list together and, you know, some I've read more than others. Um, that's for sure. But, but I just kind of went in that direction and, and put something together and said, yeah, that works. I'm, I'm cool with that. Cool. So just a quick review of the rules. We're going to dive right into it. Uh, reminder fans, these, if you have quibbles with our list or you're like, this is ridiculous, this character is iconic, why aren't they on there? Remember, these are our lists. These are not definitive lists. We're just having some fun doing those. This week's order, we just shifted everybody over. So now Dave is first this week, followed by me, followed by Ray bringing up the rear. We do this rotisserie style. When we get to Ray, you're number 10. You'll then go into your number nine, and we'll go back and forth. We will pause and take our break after we get through our number sixes. The what's the other thing? Oh, and we are all in agreement. Uh, just like last week, if somebody has a character higher on their list, raise your hand, call attention. We pause until we get to the highest ranking of that character on an individual's list. Any questions for the good of the order before we kick this off with Mr. David Ungar? Got no questions. I got one. Ray, you got, Actually, any I got questions? one. Last. Um, oh, I. Not real questions. I can make up some BS ones. Okay, cool. Uh, not, not a question <laughs> so much, but I did realize last week listening to the playback, we could turn this into a drinking game. There, there's How do we do there's that? Easy, well, so for example, anytime David Ungar says, this is probably higher on somebody else's list, 
slash and or I don't know if this is higher on somebody else's list. Drink. Every time Patrick messes up the order, drink. Every time Patrick forgets what number we're on, which is basically messing up the order, drink. Every time Ray asks if he's been skipped. No, that, that actually didn't. That only happened once. But somebody gets skipped. Yeah, that's so, true. I don't think we'd make it very far. Like we'd be I mean, all hammered by number that, six. Right. So I think there'd be quite a drinking game to be involved. But that notwithstanding, if you have your drinks, get them ready. That's cool. Dave, number 10, independent comic villain for you. Well, based on uh, what we did this week with the nerd review, my number 10 is Ming the Merciless. All right. So I deep dive in early. I I did. I I wanted to put him on there because, you know, the more I researched it and started looking at it, I mean, Ming was probably the first supervillain. I I think you could maybe make that argument that he was the first supervillain in comics because it's five years before Superman comes out. Um, He's a tyrannical bastard. He's been portrayed differently over the years. And and I mean, I think we all think Max Van Sydow's portrayal of Ming is the portrayal of Ming. And I mean, he's a little bit more egotistical in the comics and, and he's evolved over the years as, you know, Flash Gordon has been rebooted a few times. But yeah, when you think about, you know, this oppressive ruler of the universe, emperor of the galaxy sort of character that Flash has to rally the peoples of Mongo against to take him down. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to I feel really good about Ming being number 10 and, and it's 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 going way back. But it's like, well, yeah, first supervillain ever. Why not? I got Ming at number 10. Right. I think a lot of people don't realize how popular Flash Gordon was for a long time. And it's interesting when it just did like it just sort of disappeared, like it fell out of public popularity and public consciousness. And because it's like you said, it predated Superman. It was one of it was the inspiration, one of the inspirations to George Lucas in his creation of Star Wars. He talks about it because Flash Gordon was also one of the first comic to screen uh, movie screen characters that existed out there and was done as a serial in front of movies, just like the Lone Ranger and Batman and Superman eventually. But, But Flash Gordon was amongst the first and that captured the imagination of George Lucas to the point where. That opening crawl is an homage to Flash Gordon serials before, you know, it it then turned around and then brought about the movie because people wanted to cash in on the popularity of Star Wars. And hence, Dino De Laurentiis got to produce a Flash Gordon movie. So, yeah, no, no argument there on Ming the Merciless. When I was a kid, um, they had uh, I mean, they took. Right after the movie came out, they started putting books out, you know, kind of like Star Wars right. and the whole extended universe. They tried to bring in a bunch of different Flash Gordon stories, which some of them were really good and really expanded on kind of just the vastness of Ming's galaxy. And I, I mean, I love that stuff when I was a kid. So, yeah, I mean, Ming was a big, a big influence on me when I was younger. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Number 10. I'm cool with that. Right. And someday we're going to get Ray Cash in on the Flash Gordon train. We need to. And I, so I need a streaming service to make this to where Ray can watch it without having to pay $11 for it. I, yeah, I, feel I, you there, I just man. want Ray to appreciate the brilliance that is Sam. There's no, Jones. there's no, there's no wizards involved. Yeah. So you should be okay. I know, I know you don't go for that wizardy crap. So I, I will tell you this because <laughs> for, the good, for the good of my brothers, I will, I will buy the movie. 
No, I don't want you to buy something and have you come back, hate the movie, and be like, you made me waste $11 on this trash. But that would be fantastic podcasting, though, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be fantastic <laughs> Now we're going to have to start getting you on nerd reviews. That's that's what I think is going to have to happen. So my number 10, uh, I talked about this when, when I was doing the open of, of this list. A lot of the stuff that we talk about has been made into television or movies in some way, shape, or form. And my first villain is coming soon to a streaming service near you. I can't remember who's doing it. I think it might be Amazon. Uh, but it's the character Alter from the comic Why the Last Man. And have either of you read this this comic? So it's a really... It's on my wish list in comicsology. Right, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting concept. Uh, basically, it's a post-apocalyptic world where some unknown virus or something has killed every human male with uh, or every every person with a y chromosome um, with the exception of one character and his pet monkey and they are the only hope basically for repopulating the human race and he's the son of a congresswoman and really it's about protecting the secret and figuring out whether or not we want to bring men back onto the planet and his sort of journey through it and throughout this thread, a character that starts as just sort of a, uh, a side character because Israel is, is heavily involved in this, in this war with the United States and people trying to pick up the pieces and alter is the first, at first glance is just this sort of small time antagonist that ha- is working actually with, Yorick, the main character's mother, to to bring him in, and she's trying to capture him for Israel to have the power over the world of the, of the last living man on the planet. That character evolves over time to really become the nemesis and the and the villain of the comic, trying to get Yorick at all costs, and the people that she kills along the way to do that becomes a who's who of popular characters within the book. Uh, literally her her last issue is the next to last issue of the comic that's where she gets resolved so very interesting comic good concept if you can get your hands on the omnibus out there check it out because it it really is i think worth the time to to look into and and read it's a vertigo series right i think i think so yeah. yeah um so my number 10 and i will tell you my number 10 may be my weakest as it is number 10 but this is one of those loopholes I use, and if, if I get vetoed, which I know we don't do, but you can, I accept it. Because technically, it is America's best comics in 99. They were sold to DC in 98. So I used a little bit of, just, just a little bit of leeway here. Also, this character was not a character, but was written in a comic book to become... Uh, in this world to become one of the major villains. And I acknowledge that I am speaking about this character more from adaptation than adaptation. My number 10 is Professor Moriarty M from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Nice. Thank you. Radically uh, different from the the movie, the comic, yes. by the way, but hell, hell if I don't love watching that movie. So ridiculous. Fantastic, I think. And I think even if M wasn't kind of the M is still M from James Bond. So like there is such a there's such a history 
character. And, uh, man, you made me struggle for this, bro. Can you tell? <laughs> yes, we did. All right. We are back. We had a little bit of a technical snafu here with Ray as he was trying to talk to us about his number 10. So, Ray, we're going to let you jump back in and tell us your number 10 one more time. See, even the podcast guys don't like my number 10. <laughs> That's not true. Um, so, Skype. my number 10, well, Skype, my headset, the computer, and there's a list of things. Um, my number 10 was Professor Moriarty M., from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I realized that he is mainly a, a Bond character. I realized that I have never read the comic. I only am talking from the film adaptation. And I realized that M is not the main bad guy in this comic. However, I think the think um, how important M is to so many different functions of American literature made me put him at this number 10. I acknowledge it is not the strongest choice, but uh, when Patrick said indie villains, I went deep diving, like really deep diving. Um, and I would have put Blowfield if you said literature, but you say comic books. Oh, uh, you're a thinker. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, well, Blowfield, maybe you're talking about original supervillains. Blowfield is the first supervillain, not Ming yeah. the Merciless. Yeah, that is fair. Yeah, I. I, the thing I love about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and is one of, you're going to hear about this later on in my list, uh, one of my favorite villains. He was in my top five, top three even. I do appreciate a good comic rooted in like classic literature. And Moriarty as a villain for Sherlock Holmes, one of the great uh, one of the great adversaries for that character, and especially throughout film and all that. You can't you can't deny just that fun twist uh, of having it with this world where you've got all these supernatural classic gothic horror um, horror creatures and characters who are really kind of like the uh, oh gosh like the Dark Avengers uh, yes. the Suicide Squad yes. sort of deal like the villains that are the good guys doing their thing but not all of them are bad guys it's so fascinating and so as a character and as a foil. Moriarty makes a lot of sense. Well, well, I have a I have a very strong affinity for team ups groups. Yep. Uh, X Men was originally what got me into the world of comic books and superheroes. Um, Power Rangers as well. That was my time when I grew up. Um, so yeah, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, uh, Dracula's wife, um, you know, uh, Captain Nemo and the Nautilus. Like it's so many cool characters, and I've always loved that all these extremely powered characters who could do anything are getting beat by this dude who has no power other than he's kind of smart. Like that's right. dope to me. I love that. So that's my number 10. My number nine is better. Okay. My number nine is of course, all of these have a film adaptation, but I have read some of the comments of this. It's from the critically acclaimed umbrella Academy. I have the conductor. Not on my go. list. The conductor was that, is that synonymous with the handler from the TV show? No, the conductor is the first season. That's the guy that uh, on the TV show, L Leonard, I think his name was, that was oh, dating right, Vanya. Right, Got That it. convinced Vanya to go crazy and destroy the world. Got it. Destroy the moon. Got it. Um, if you remember from last week, this I guess this could be my drinking game. It, it Motivation is a big motivation and, and fulfilling your goals is a big thing to me. 
motivation was I wasn't one of y'all. I'm one of y'all, but I wasn't one of y'all. Don't have any powers. Goes out of his way to convince Vanya to lose her mind because he finds out that Vanya really is the most powerful of all of them. And um, the chief, that's what they call him, right? The chief. Which one? The, the dad, the, ma- the the dad of all of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Reginald you know, Hargreaves, right? Hargreaves. Reginald Hargreaves. He's afraid of him. He's afraid of her. And when he when when the conductor finds out, again, the conductor and the white violin, it, it makes sense, right? And she wouldn't have gone crazy had it wouldn't have been for him giving her hope she never had when he was doing it all on purpose. And he ended up dying. But again, he fulfilled his goal. So shout out to Umbrella Academy. And just listening to your description, remember, Patrick, when we were reviewing Umbrella Academy and we made all the corollaries and the comparisons between Vanya and Dark Phoenix. And now listening yep. to Ray describe the conductor, that is what happened. Same thing with Dark Phoenix. Same yeah, exact manipulated into breaking. And so Every, uh, everything that's old is new again. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. Just told in a different way. And it's, it's terrific, terrific stuff. My number nine comes from the comic Hellboy. And oh, Dave's already raising his hand, but I still get to say the name. It's Rasputin. Now, now Dave has raised his hand, so we'll talk about him later. Dave, what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is uh, I know he's higher on your list, so still get to say his name. Man. It's the governor from Walking Dead. So, oh, yeah. See, there's my hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my number eight, though, I don't see on your list. Um, it is uh, Widowmaker from Image Comics. Uh, Widowmaker yep. was she hasn't been around enough but boy she played and she came in in noble causes and was hired as an assassin to take out Captain Dynamo who was like noble causes variation of Superman sort of had kind of the same powers so she was brought in to assassinate him and she did it with poison and then after you know after he was dead then everybody discovered that he may have been a superhero, but he wasn't the most, the best of husbands. Certainly not the most faithful of husbands. Had a lot of illegitimate kids, and then the Dynamo Five was was born, and, and Widowmaker was hired to take them out. Uh, just you know, kind of like imagining, you know, for more mainstream stuff, somebody not named Doomsday who came and was able to kill Superman, you know, and then and then go after his progeny and that sort of thing. Uh, she she just I always liked loved the story. Noble Causes is one of those rarer things that I've not been able to find on comiXology yet, but the Dynamo five is there, but I just, I always really liked her as a character. She's not evil per se. She's just a mercenary doing her job and they gave her an impossible task. And somehow she was able to poison this guy and then set him up. You know, he shows up naked in a hotel room, dead, you know, and, and people like, Oh, that couldn't have been what really happened. But, but just everything that kind of came off of that, I, I always thought Widowmaker was a really cool villain and underrated. And I, I figured I'm, you know, I'm going to put her on my list here because I like, you know, yeah. When you can kill a Superman Homelander ish type of character, you've accomplished something. So she's number eight on my list. I, uh, I read about her in my research, but again, kind of following my own rules, I didn't, I hadn't read any of the comics, so I didn't feel justified putting it on, on the list there. So Good times there. My number eight uh, is Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, no, criminal. 
here's my thing about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So many people's understanding of those characters, both good and bad, comes from cartoons. Particularly the late 80s, early 90s version of the cartoons. And it's been done and redone and over and over and over again. And it's always been this bright, fun, colorful, happy little show. And the original comic from Massachusetts' own Greg Laird, and I always forget the other guy's name. Dave, do you remember it by chance? Ray, either of you? Anyway, I'm sure he's important. That comic is dark as hell and is brutal and violent. And most people's favorite villain and known villain from there dies in the second issue and be brought back in later iterations of the comic and become the nemesis that we all know and love. Krang from Dimension X was the real deal and was the one intent on world domination. He's the, sorry, excuse me, he's the one who introduced ooze into the equation and is responsible for the ooze that created the Turtles and Splinter and all the other mutants that, that kind of come along thereafter. And so he was... A nemesis. He was a fought, he was a it was a, an opponent that would get beaten and come back and resurrect himself time and time again. And he's just he's great. And he's just this little brain in a big freaking bodysuit, but he's running the show. He is the puppet master. He is the the you know the, the the string puller. And I love him. Love that character. That's my number eight. Yeah, Mutant Ninja Turtles is uh, a little bit underrated. Might hear more about them later on, perhaps, maybe. Well, the best. <laughs> Indeed. <Yep>. Indeed. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Um, it's back on me, right? It is. It's back on you. Drink. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll drink this wonderful can of Coca-Cola. Uh, Keeping it safe today, Ray. Yes. Um, number eight is from the Judge Dredd comic, Judge Death. Nice. I'm going to be honest with you. I picked him because I know he's a badass. I don't know anything about it. I've never seen the movie. Well, he's not He's not in any of the movies. Or in read, uh, read, read any of the books. I, I don't know anything about him. He's, he's from an alternate reality uh, within the Judge Dredd universe. And, oh gosh, he's just, it's an iconic look. He's another comic that I've read very, very little of. Uh, but he's he's everything that you don't want Judge Dredd to be. Like, Judge Dredd meets out justice and is ruthless in doing so, Judge Death is like him times a thousand. Like, it's just, it's so, he just takes, and there's there's no law. It's all about killing all. And so Judge Death, you know, very, very, very popular character, very, very iconic look. So not a, not a tough choice at all. Yeah, that's one of those I just had to pick because I knew him and I knew how badass he was, but I don't know right. anything about him. So... This will be my week to be a layperson, and next week, we, you and I, Dave, can make Pat look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Ah, I don't know if we'll make him look like a layperson, but... <laughs> um, but my number seven is Patrick's favorite of all of my uh, of everybody on my list. Okay. It's the Alpha from The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've already gone... At, I spoke at nauseam about this last week, but again... While Negan and I, spoiler alert, I have Negan higher on my list because it's a different list. Um, but uh, I think there's that's probably the most famous non-DC or Marvel comic ever at this point. If we're not counting the Turtles, it's right. got to be the most 
popular comic of all time. You might even be able to count the turtles and still give the nod to Walking Dead. That's that's a good point. (laughs) That's a very good point. Um, And while Negan is the villain, nobody did more than Alpha did in the history of that comic, in the history of that world. Alpha has destroyed more than anybody else for literally less reasons than Negan. (laughs) Just because. You walked right by my area. You got to die. Um, So I'm not going to Keep harping on the fact and keep pissing off Patrick Moore. Alpha's my number seven. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. (laughs) That's worse. I know, right? That's that's fatherhood speaking right there. I'm not mad. (laughs) Just disappointed. Oh, damn it, son. I expected more from you. Oh, dad. I'm sorry, dad. Right. Are we to me? Is is disappointed dad ready to to give his number seven? Is that where, where we're at here? My number seven, we're staying with The Walking Dead. Uh, Dave, you already said him once. It's the governor. So there are panels that I will never forget. And yes. I'll talk about this when I talk about characters. Like when he arrives on like the tank to assault the prison, that panel is just so well drawn with just the crazy wildness in his eyes. That is your first look at what will then be ramped up to 11 in a different way when we get to Negan. Is this is a character with the strength to take control and run a society in a very, very horrific sort of way. And yet there's this window into who he is and how he got to be where he is by the fact that he has kept his daughter who has turned with him in his home because he can't spare the idea of destroying her but it destroyed him and killed his humanity even as he runs this town. And it's the, like you've run into a lot of bad eggs in the walking dead comic. And this is the first time where the bad eggs are organized and it's, and it's, and it's the governor and he's your first glimpse. And so many popular characters within the comic die in that conflict. And so the governor became my first because, you know, you think you have the safe haven with the prison and the governor rips that up in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, he the governor was the first character that really started shifting the narrative of the walking dead away from the dead weren't so much the threat. Now it's more the people. And the governor really hammered that part home. Um, You know, we're all going to talk Negan later on. Uh, Apparently we've all got him. Uh, But you know, the governor, you know, Negan had charisma. The governor was just a sick fuck, you know, and yes, his humanity had been w- w- ripped away because of what happened to his daughter. But, you know, we're talking about a, a megalomaniac. We're talking about a rapist. We're talking about when they when they adapted the governor to the TV show, they almost watered him down because he didn't cut off Rick's hand in the TV show. Whereas in the comics, he's the one who makes cuts totally off Rick's cut hand. Off and, and, you know, that, that put him at a totally different level than the stuff he was trying to do to Michonne in the comics. And a, he was far worse in the comics than I think he was portrayed because they had that whole thing in that, I forget which season it was, but he kind of goes through this whole thing where he's, he's almost trying to redeem himself or find his humanity again and then fails in the TV show. And they never really did that in the comics. He was just a prick the whole time. But, right. um, I mean, a different level of violence and a different level of of asshole and i love the governor as a character loved him on the tv show 
wish they would have actually amped up the darkness on him on the TV show a little bit, but it is what it is. But yeah, he was on my list as well as uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal villain. Agree completely. Uh, you talking about those? You talking about those? Um, those panels, the panels with him and Michonne are like yep. crazy. Like you don't forget that type of stuff. Robert Kirkman's an interesting guy. He's very yeah. Like people like him and like the guys who made Spawn. Not Spawn. Um, well, gave that Tom away. Tom McFarlane. No, I, I gave that away because I have Spawn, something from Spawn on my list. No, um, Saw. Like, oh, people yeah, that yeah. make stuff like that? Like, I'm terrified of people like that. Hostile? Hostile, yes. Hostile the human centipede? What's, what's that guy's name? Who did? Who, Eli Roth. Eli Roth gave us Hostile, gave us uh, Cabin Fever. Human centipede is just whatever. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> it's, it's the wrong show. Enough, it's the wrong show. To enough talk about left that unsaid about that train Dave, wreck. save us. Take us to your number six, my friend. Uh, it's my number seven, right? Oh yeah, that's right. I did, we just did the governor. You're Go number ahead. seven. Drink, You're Patrick. You're up. Uh, my there number, my number seven was one earlier on your year on your list. Grigory Rasputin from the Hellboy series, which, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and I haven't read a ton of Hellboy, but I've read enough. You, like, Go ahead. You, you have a number seven. Yes. I have a number six. Well, we'll wait for you then, Ray. So we'll pause. Yeah. That'll be what we talk about right before we go into break. So that works out well. So skipping your number seven, that means now, David, it's your number six. Oh, um, my number six is also higher on your list, Patrick. It is the ad- okay. the adversary from Fables. Okay, so that makes it my number six. And let's see if we let's see if I can play this game with you. Because my number six is Omni Man from Invincible. It's higher on my list. There you go. <laughs> Back into bandwagon nerds going to be a little packed. <laughs> I guess because no, Dave loves Invincible. I do. Like we yeah. have talked, I we've talked it. about Invincible ad nauseum at other times. Like it does not surprise me at all that it's that it's higher up on his list. So that means we're to you, Ray, and your number six, which you just said is the aforementioned Rasputin, correct? Ras- Rasputin, yes. Um, I'll let you go because again, I just know it from the movies. So here's what I we we talked about this when you when you brought up League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. We're going to talk about this when we talk about fables later. The thing that I love about this particular character is that we took a a legend who is a real person, a legend from history, and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. The famous Rasputin, the man who was believed to be a wizard who couldn't be killed. And, and I learned a lot about him in high school because my teacher knowing that I liked weird shit, uh, when we were writing about that period of time for a history course, she assigned me him intentionally because she knew I would enjoy the project. She's like, this one's for you. You're going to like it. And so I was uh, I was thrilled to get to do that. And the thing that's great about Rasputin is, as a character, he shows up very, very early in the Hellboy comics run. He's the one who basically brought Hellboy... He's the reason. Yeah, he creates he's, he's the here. void, right? And after he's defeated, he's so popular that they kept bringing him back. And he's just become this always in the shadows background nemesis to Hellboy that keeps popping up. And so while there are plenty of other more powerful sort of entities that Hellboy wrestles with and va- battles and, and, you know, tangles with, Rasputin is always there, always in the background every once in a while coming to the fore. And so he, he is my lone Hellboy entrant 
entered just by virtue of the fact that he's just he's the he's the presence. He's, he's the reason. He's, just, he's the presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you say, he was the reason that Hellboy came into, I guess, air quoting our dimension. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was like you're saying he was so popular they kept bringing him back in ghost form, and you know. Right. It's, Stuff he was doing, I, I forget, some goddess or something like that. Doesn't she like banish him into like an acorn or something at the end of all of this shit? <laughs> something yeah, like it's, that. It's ridiculous, but it's no more ridiculous than Superman blowing out a star. True. Or flying backwards so fast that time goes backwards. But oh, that's the movie. We're not going to talk that's about That's the movie. It. Yeah. But anyway, I yeah, that I uh, Rasputin's uh is a really cool character. He, there's a lot more depth than I think we can really oh, yeah. talk about him in, in a podcast format. But yeah, I mean, you know, don't don't base anything on the movies because the movies are largely garbage. Go and read the actual graphic they're, novels. They're, they're fun and ha- they're fun and harmless. But I, I think it's the same thing. Like when we talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it gets softened to the point of sort of silly and ridiculous. Sure, sure. and. That's the thing, you know, we talk about why when we talked about like the boys and I feel like we're just becoming this commercial for the boys. Part of the reason why I love the boys, part of the reason why I appreciate The Walking Dead, even though the show, in my opinion, jumped the shark a while ago, is that it didn't run away from what the comic was. And the spirit of the books are still there. And not to say that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like there's been other iterations, later iterations that have been a little more serious. But for TMNT, it's always been a kid's show. Like, it's always on Nickelodeon or on Fox or, you know, the movie is at worst rated PG. And so even though there's scary elements, it's still very childlike and kidsy. And that's, you know, I think the same thing that and and I wouldn't say that Hellboy gets childlike and kidsy, but it definitely was toned down to meet the motion picture rating audience that would allow for a broader audience to come see it. It's the same reason that the Dark Knight trilogy has a PG-13 rating. They, they do mm-hmm. just enough of the type of violence that allows people to be okay with it. Like, you don't see the pencil go into a dude's head, but you know what happened. You don't mm-hmm. see the Joker cut a dude's mouth, but you know what happened. You don't see the fires of hell rising up and, you know, incinerating human flesh and melting it from its body. But you get the idea that it happens. Right. And so that the studios still aren't quite willing to take the risk to make a truly good R-rated comic book movie on the regular. Deadpool. That's the only one has, that's really made changes. The yeah. And they've shown that it can make money. It just still doesn't make Captain America money. Yet. We'll see what, if they, we ever oh, get a third so one. <laughs> we'll get a third one. I believe it. 2027 hashtag 2027 that that is the year indeed speaking of hashtag 2020 no just kidding we don't we don't need to go any further with that that does wrap up the first half of the indie comic villains project with ray's number six we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back ray will kick us off with his number five before we do that i do want to tell you all to jump over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and help keep the chair shot.com going by purchasing a t-shirt from representing one of our many wonderful shows here on the network whether that's the bandwagon nerds podcast whether that's a winner is you which has two options out there and i personally recommend the link uh, the Legend of Zelda one—that's my favorite, by the way. If I were if I were to choose, and a winner is you 
shirt, that's the one I would do. Also, all kinds of wrestling-based T-shirts, as we are primarily a wrestling podcasting network. And so you can see such things as hashtag Save Tag Team Wrestling, all of the different um, variations of the chairshot.com, the Everybody Hates Greg shirt. You still, the campaign is still up and running for Platt Malaz 2020 it's not too late folks it's not too late is that shirt dead or are you saying don't vote no i'm just saying if i don't vote for them don't vote for them but you can still support their campaign (laughs) over at the pro wrestling tees.com forward slash the chair shot remember you can get it in your standard t-shirt style or if you're feeling fancy for a few bucks more you can get it soft style the preferred style of the queen of soft style miranda morales when we come back We're going to count down our top five independent comic book villains as we wrap up the villain project here on episode 50 of Bandwagon Nerds. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. This is your boy Kenny Killer telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out. TheChairShot.com. And welcome back to Bandwagon Nerds episode number 50. Part 2 of the Villain Project taking place. Top 10 Villains of Indie Comics. We are jumping in with Ray kicking off our number five villain. Ray, what you got for us? So it's hilarious that right before we stopped uh, and we took our break, you were talking about how don't go from the comic, don't go for the film version of these comics because they don't tell the story exactly the same way. And so much of my list, because I'm not as well-versed in, on these indie, independent comics as you guys are, come originally from that world. And then I research what happened in the comics, but that's initially where I first see the character. The first in my lifetime, the first real comic book movie I remember in this new generation was Spawn, Todd McFarlane. And you can't think of Spawn without thinking about The Violator. Stop. Okay. <laughs> but Patrick okay. and I both like stop. Okay. I feel but, I feel better. I feel so much better. But my number five is also within the Spawn family. And, and confession, I could have done a top ten list of just Spawn villains. In okay. fact, it, I was really hard-pressed to not have three to four others in here. Overkill, for example, I considered. Mm -hmm. Malbolgia, Mm -hmm. I considered. Satan, I considered. Mm -hmm. Angela, I considered. Mm -hmm. Because it was like, I love Spot. And and whatever people think of Todd McFarlane, like, he's an interesting guy. Some people think he was great for Spider-Man. Other people think he ruined Spider-Man. The Spot comic, and if you want something entertaining to watch, Ray... Uh, if you have Amazon, I think it's an Amazon Prime account. I don't think it's been transitioned over to HBO Plus. The HBO animated Spawn series that was spearheaded oh. by Todd McFarlane, I do believe, is still free to stream if you have Amazon Prime. I'll check that and out. And so I, I would 
definitely check out the Spawn animated series. It wouldn't surprise me if it eventually archives its way over to HBO Max because it was originally I, I used to that was appointment television for me, even with cheesy intros from uh, from Todd McFarlane himself sitting in a spooky study talking to everybody about, you know, some difference between good and evil and what's what's really great. Um, but I, I eventually narrowed it down to two. And my number two was number four. Your second well, spawn no, guy, but your number my, five. Yeah. My number five. Yeah. My number five spawn guy was Jason Wynn. So Jason Wynn, for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with the comic, is the man responsible for Al Simmons' death. He's the one who orders Al Simmons to die, which results in Al Simmons making a deal with Satan to be a hell spawn, a general of Satan's armies as he goes forward to take over the world. And the thing that makes Jason Wynn so great, and we talked about this last week uh, on the show, is, is some of the types of villains that, that I appreciate. And is really the truth, I think, of four of the next five that I'm about, that I'm going to talk about. Jason Wynn is, again, he's a puppet master. He's pulling strings. He's manipulating the world for his gain. The thing that makes him so great is that for a good chunk of the comic, he's not supernatural. He's just a dick. He's just a terrible guy. And he is the one that is manipulating everything to give himself power. And so as a character, he he was just he was around way longer than I ever expected him to be. And he makes deals. He talks with agents of the devil, uh, of hell. But he is not himself a demon, a devil, a anything, a succubus, any of that stuff. He's just a power-hungry megalomaniac that is horribly represented in the movie. So I will reiterate, don't don't watch that the Spawn movie is is John Leguizamo makes that movie. Mm -hmm. Like any of the good that comes out of that comes from John Leguizamo. Everything else is kind of weak sauce. Uh Allegedly, we've got another one coming that Todd McFarlane says he's going to have a bigger hand in when 2027 rolls around and that movie comes out. Well, I look forward to watching it. But yeah, Jason Wynn, my my number five. 2027 going to be a hell of a year, folks. Indeed. Mr. Ungar, your number five. Uh, my number five is the Saint of Killers from the Preacher series. Um, not, And I've never watched the TV show, but... I've read enough about I've read enough preacher, uh, the graphic novel and the Santa killers is just this, you know, he's not a lot of people lo look at hair star. Who's kind of the main pro antagonist to Jesse Custer. Uh, but I, I didn't like him so much cause he's always getting fucked up, amputated, you know, I mean, Jesse draws a, a dick on his head. So, I mean, how badass can you really be when you've got a dick drawn on your head? Right guys. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> but the Santa Killer, the Santa Killers, on the other hand, uh, has none of that shit going on. He's just absolutely badass. I mean, anybody he comes in contact with, uh, they really have their hands full with this guy. Uh, he, what is he in the in the comics? I think he actually goes and kills Satan, and then he rebels yes, against he Satan, and then he goes and sets his sights on God. You know, and one of the reasons that God is ditched out on heaven and is somewhere on the earth. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, but he's just the absolute badass. 
And he, he almost kind of morphs into an anti-hero at parts once you start learning more about his backstory and how he wasn't like this. He was a family man, and then everything just got manipulated and, and turned upside down and against him. But he's just an absolute badass in that show. I mean, and it it or not show that that comic and and I just I love the Santa Killers. He's just probably out of all the people on the list, like, okay, he's the baddest ass on here just you know with the with the cowboy hat and just no nonsense and i just love that character so yeah he got number five for me what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Number four uh, is Omni-Man. Patrick talked about him earlier. And and so I got Omni Man at number four. Yeah, I love Invincible, uh, another fantastic comic from Image Comics, where they really kind of take the whole concept of, of superheroes and and do a little bit of a twist on it. And Omni Man is just like, oh Patrick, help me out on this, but he was like, so, so he's he's Invincible's father, and right, and he's kind of seemingly guiding his son along as his son develops his powers, but in the meantime he's really the villain and the one kind of pulling a lot of the strings. And when, when that reveal comes where it's him and he reveals this and him and his son have this showdown, that's alarming, you know, to see a father son throwdown of that magnitude. I it just, he's, I mean, and he kind of does, I think he does get vindicated at the end a little bit and kind of goes back right. to the hero's it's, path. It is a little bit of a redemption story Sorta. for him. If I were, we, we, there's a lot of talk about Superman gone bad. And that's sort of what you see out of Omni-Man is Omni-Man basically in order to save the world has to first try to destroy it and becomes the, the evil. And so we taught, we speaking of things that, you know, if somebody says something, drink, I say, we talked about blah, 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 a lot. So drink, uh, we talked a lot about, this with Homelander, like what would happen if uh, Superman goes bad? Uh, Brightburn, same sort of idea in film. This is a, a, another take on the Superman goes bad sort of way. And in his own mind is still in a twisted way. He's right. Evil he's, he's for the greater good mm -hmm. is kind of the argument. And so it is. It's a very, and the, the element of him being the Invincible's father after being his mentor for, for so long is just a huge, huge, huge moment for the book. And yeah, propels the story forward in a, in a, in a speed that had before then been completely unexpected. And, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a terrific twist. Yeah. I mean, invincible himself. I mean, his, 
the um, the evolution of that character from where he starts with the mentoring of his father and all the interrelations he has with other heroes, for lack of a better term. Uh, and then you get that moment where, you know, dad's your actual biggest enemy. It, 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 and, you know, again, you can draw analogies to Star Wars and Luke and Vader mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And it does have that element. And it even has a little bit of the hero's path sort of redemption thing. So they are borrowing from Star Wars, just in a different kind of environment. But yeah, Omni-Man's a, a fantastic villain in a in a fantastic comic that I still don't think gets enough credit amongst a lot of nerds out there for just how great of a comic it was. Right. That's that's one of the few indie comics you guys have mentioned that I've actually heard of and planned on buying. I know about it. Hey! You should, you should Ray. It's Big really, way. really Big good. Way. That's okay. So this is Ray's week on the bandwagon. If everybody hasn't figured out, we're pulling him on uh, with all these shows. So we're to my number four. Is that correct? I forgot the order. Yes. Yes. All right. So my number four already mentioned once by Ray hasn't been mentioned yet by Dave. So thinking because I'm sticking with spawn and that is the clown slash violator. So higher up on Dave's list, which means we're back to Mr. Ray cash for your number four. We won't be here long because you basically described him when you were talking about Omni Man, Homelander. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but I, still, yeah. Again, we spoke about this last week. Drink, uh, but yeah, Homelander is the preeminent version of in public. He is everything: truth, justice, the American way, the right, everything perfect, and behind the scenes. He is as ruthless and as terrible as can be. He runs the seven with the iron fist. He tries to run Vought. Doesn't quite work that way. He takes a little too much pleasure in killing people. He tries to uh, control by killing instead of control by saving. Um, Hell, the superheroes in the seven don't even really save people as superheroes. They just do stuff on camera. But um, yeah, Homeland is a fantastic a fantastic he's so character. Depraved. He's, he's extremely just, he's depraved. He's just depraved. And the thing that is nuts, and we've talked about this, is the number of things that they've reenacted panels that were originated out of the comic. The last image you have of Homelander at the end of season two was in the comic. Like oh, when, in, he, oh, yeah. when he's turning off on the top of the tower or something. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. That's in the book. Like, kudos to Amazon for not holding back. Homelander, people think Homelander is bad in the in the show. Read the comics. the comics. Yeah, read the comics. Worse. Horrifying. Yeah, excellent number four, sir. Thank you. Well, and well, then going back to back to my number three is again another person we spoke about ad nauseum, which is I believe higher on one of you guys' list, but it's Negan. It's higher on my list. Yeah. Okay. Brings it to my number three. Yep. Yes. So Dave, you mentioned this before um, that he was higher on my list from the comic fables, the adversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm seeing some big nods. Ray, have you read the, have you read fables before? I have not read fables, but I've played a game about fables. So I'm, I'm familiar with the right. characters, which makes me want to read it. Right. So it's a, it's a neat little concept where fairy tale worlds and characters are real mm-hmm. And there's this character known as the adversary who has slowly been taking over control of the various worlds and forcing fable fairy tale characters into exile. And they live in hiding in New York City. I think it's New York City. I think so. Uh, 
And the big mystery for a significant portion of the comics run is the identity of the adversary. Who is it that is running these characters out of their land, destroying them? And you learn in the end, the best part is the reveal, in my opinion, because it's Geppetto from Pinocchio. The kindly, you know, most people's concept of Geppetto is from the Disney cartoon. And what they did is it's another one of these. It's, a, it's fascinating how many of these characters are grieving fathers that, that, we, that we've talked about here. Because this is another example of a grieving father who, you know, Pinocchio is, is his child. And he's manipulating and controlling Pinocchio terribly throughout this. But Geppetto is horrible. And all of the, the things that he's doing, like he creates these puppets that come to life on their own. And that's his army. And it's forever just indestructible and unbeatable. And yet at the same time, he's the character, because before people know he's the adversary, he's one of the characters folks are going to to talk to about like their problems and advice. And he's like this father figure to all these characters. Yet he's the one doing everything. It's it's very well done. It's a it's a terrific it's a terrific run of books. And, and that villain again, 30, 40, 50 issues of the adversary before before he's defeated and run down. Like he sees a lot of success before before ultimately being defeated. Yeah, Fables is one of those book runs, series runs that. Again, it's like a lot of you don't hear a lot about it in mainstream. A lot of people haven't read it. You know, at first blush, you're looking and saying, you know, fairy tales. What do I want to what I want to read that? But then when you realize like there's like the very first volume where who is it? Rose Red, where she gets murdered or something like that, Patrick. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I mean, and that whole first volume of, of fables it, involving that. And then you start learning about the adversary just taking over all their little worlds and lands and everybody yeah, getting exiled when you're getting kicked out of you know forever after land and you end up in new york city and that sucks you know <laughs> that sort of thing and and, and yeah but like you're saying they don't give anything away till the till near the end and then it's like oh shit yeah i mean going to going to him this is your father figure this is the person you've entrusted with all your deepest darkest secrets and he's the villain it's well I- really well done can I tell you what upsets me more than anything? Because I think this would be a terrific TV show. But fucking Once Upon a Time probably has made it <laughs> prohibitive for a little bit to make it a show. Yeah. And here's the thing. is, And I'm going to own this. I, I love... I've talked about this throughout this list. I love takes on mythology, like existing mythology. And that's what fairy tales are. And Fables is absolutely a take on mythology. In fact, mo- a lot of these books... Uh, Spawn, for example, is a take on Dante's Inferno. And it it just it's so it's so upsetting to me that like if I were to sit there and sit someone down and be like, okay, so here's the concept of fables, and we described it to them, they'd be like, Oh, it's like once upon a time. That crappy, <laughs> that crappy show that was just Disney characters. Eh. But I watched I watched Once Upon a Time. Frequently. And I can't even say that my wife made me watch it. I was like, oh, this looks like this interesting concept. Maybe it's fables. It's not fables. It wasn't it's fables. Not. And but it made me very angry. It's not as bad as it's meant to be, though. 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it could have been the rise of Skywalker. So at least <laughs> it was. There it is. There it drink. That's got to be another drink. Every time Patrick rags on rise of Skywalker, that that's finish your whole cup. Yeah, that's not taking. Yeah. Drain your drain your drain your flask on that one, folks. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like fables is it's it's very much like uh you know the the old school like the grim fairy tales version of a lot mm-hmm. of these fables, so it's it's the darker stuff. But yeah, I, I I love the pick. I mean, that's that's an awesome awesome series of books. And and I'd also like to be the person to point out that Disney has ruined a lot of the. I'm not gonna say ruined. I'm I'm a father of girls. Disney has changed fantastically. The true versions oh, of God, these yeah. storytell this of these old stories. So, like a lot of these stories, like you're talking about, Geppetto was the, the nice old man. He ain't so nice in the real Pinocchio story. No. So my one of my favorite activities to do uh, when I when I used to work with. So I used I work in this office and we have college students that you know work our front counters. And every once in a while, they would be talking about whatever Disney animated flick would come up. And one of my favorite things to do would be to like systematically ruin some of their favorite like Disney flicks from the 90s. They'd be like, oh, I love The Little Mermaid. Do you know what happens in The Little Mermaid? Like really happens in The Little Mermaid? <laughs> Snow White was terrific. Really? Really? Let's talk about Snow White. Because and that was the other thing is, you know, Grim Fairy Tales and um, Hans Christian Daniel Anderson's stories they were morality plays. They were they were ways to keep children in line. Mm-hmm. And so when you actually read some of these original scripts, you're like, my God. Mm-hmm. Even even ones that aren't so much, like Tarzan. Tarzan is one of my favorites. Do you know in Tarzan? Tarzan don't get the girl. Fucking Clayton gets the girl. Tarzan chooses to let Clayton get the girl because he thinks that she would be better with Clayton. Like, that's the stuff I love. Fuck you, Disney. I love ruining people's imaginations. There you go, folks. <laughs> Still not the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Jesus. There's two. Ding. I had ran out. Where's my flask? Ray, you got the other flask? Look, uh, we, need to, we need to get a new bottle. Yeah. We all need new bottles. A new bottle. <laughs> David, what you got for number three, man? Uh, number three, you guys have mentioned it already. It's the Violator from Spawn, which is... uh. You know, he's not the big bad. I can't prove Malbogia, I think, is is the like Mal- the, Malbogia. Yeah. Malbogia is the first big bad and is the primary big bad. But as right. Spawn lingered on too long, eventually right. Satan gets involved. And and so the violators like uh, Malbogia is one of his henchmen, you know, and, and I mean, mm-hmm. and he the whole idea. I mean, you could sit there and make the argument that the violator and Pennywise have terrorized children and created the fear of clowns. I know there's an official word for that. Uh, as much as anything has, but I mean, when he's when he's a clown, he's just kind of like deranged and and odd. And then he kind of when he's not, when he's in his more supernatural form, and just the shit going on with him and Spawn for how, how many? I mean, he's in there for a lot of Spawn's issues. Forever. I mean, for oh, and, yeah. and it just keeps going on, and he Spawn's, you know, and that's what I love about him. It's like you know, it's like the Killer of Saints. Same sort of thing. He's not the main big bad for Jesse Custer, but he's like the henchman and he's better. And Violator is kind of the same way. He's not the main guy, but he's like his henchman. And in most ways, he's better. And I know you've read more Spawn than I have, but. um, Right. I I literally wrote a capstone English paper in my senior year of college on Spawn for a literature class because of it. Again, because of its uh, roots in the Inferno and and Dante's Inferno Mm. and the various name the, the various names and characters that Todd McFarlane uses uh and Spawn being an anti-hero. 
Right, well, there's but, that one issue where they're walking one of the dudes. They're walking him down through all the seven, eight, and there's yeah. even a circle of hell that it's like, oh, we don't go there, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, you don't. Here's here's the thing that I love about the clown slash you know violator Malbolgia for a good portion of Spawn for the longest time is a shadow entity. You know of him. You know he's what characters who they report to, who they answer to. But his agent, his primary agent, is Violator. And what I love about this character is the two different sides. The the glee, the masochistic glee within the clown, and just the the the, the first reveal of the demon is is just it's the it's the height of the art uh, of the comic at the time. Like the two two things that were always distinctive that I used to love about. McFarlane's art and drawing for Spawn was the way he drew the cape. The cape was everywhere and it was its own person. It was it was its own character as much as Al Simmons slash Spawn was. And then the first true big demon reveal of the Violator. Because he doesn't reveal Violator right away. For the first multiple issues of the of the uh of the series. Spawn is lost. He doesn't know who he is. He's trying to get a sense of himself. And his guide is this messed up clown. And you know he's bad. Like, you know he can't be good. Like, he's got teeth that are, you know, filed down to points. And he's got red eyes. And, like, he just looks scary. But he's he's all Al Simmons has to rely on for the longest time. And then when Al Simmons has enough and he needs to be put in line, that's when Violator reveals himself and kicks the shit out of Spawn. Mm-hmm. And before eventually Spawn, you know, cuts his head off. But you know, or no, he does that to Malbolgia. Sorry. Well, I mean, that's a great thing. Spawn is constantly evolving for mu- a lot of it, learning his powers, learning his identity, learning various things, and and that's one of the best things about Spawn is it's like it's not like a lot of these where like you know Superman once he becomes Superman, he knows what his powers are. He may discover some of his weaknesses later on. Spawn, that kind of evolves. It takes him a while to gain full power. And of course, they've always got that thing with Spawn. Like, you know, if you, you know, any, everything you do has like an energy cost or something like that. Right. It was there. Well, for the longest time, yeah, there was a counter. Right. They counted down his power. And so you would just periodically through the book, something would happen and you would see that the number go down. And yeah, I have the first, I think I have the first 100 issues of the Spawn, uh, Spawn. Uh, as I bought that run and it actually, that paper that I joked about is actually what really got me into purchasing comics and got me back into buying them is that I was writing this paper and had this opportunity. I will never forget Dr. Abella for assigning in a, in a heroes and heroism class, this capstone project where we got to challenge heroic conventions. And I got to do an agent of hell as a hero and show that it was connected to the inferno. It was one of my, favorite papers of all times to write love doing that it was a presentation where you didn't have to write the notes because you just knew you were going to nail it and and violator is a is a big part of that but yeah it's a it's a great great comic if you haven't read spawn i at least read issues one through 100 that would be my advice mm-hmm. absolutely that's a lot of homework bro <laughs> it's worth the time it's an engaging story up to that point. it really is uh so my number two then my number Indeed. two is uh, Patrick had mentioned Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My number two is Shredder. Um, oh, higher on Rays. 
Well, we know what his number one is. All right. On to Patrick's number two. My number two, um, I'm assuming, is your number one since you haven't mentioned it, and that's Negan from The Walking Dead. I will raise so my I hand. So I will hold on Negan and hand it over to Ray for his number two. So my number two is my manga. Okay. My number two is what I, what me and my friends like to affectionately call the blackest character in the history of Japanese comics, and that's Frieza from Dragon Ball. No idea. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to let you run with this. I, we are going <laughs> to let you tell us all about Frieza from Dragon Ball. So you've never watched any Dragon Ball Z, read any Dragon Ball Z, Dragon I've Ball, watched, any of that? Watch. I will own, I've watched one episode of Dragon Ball Z. I, I, all right, time out. I'm going to I'm gonna say this. Just get this out there. I'm going to watch it. I find that show boring as shit. I, I, I'm not far behind Patrick on that one. Really. And, and here's why. <laughs> Here's and here's I get it because I've had other friends try to get me on this, and maybe the show has changed. It feels like I sit there and watch about thirty episodes of getting ready for this big fight that just like never happens. And from what I understand, the big fight is dope, but mm-hmm. like quite, but like I can't get there. You got yeah, I the 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 booking is too long term. For let me put it. To- let me put it like this. If I had, if I told you to watch Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in 2020 at our ages, we'd be like, what the hell is this? I get it. You had to have watched it when you were younger for it to have resonated with you because so much of our enter- entertainment and our enjoyment of things is based on nostalgia, right? Um, so, but just to read, I want to read off some of his, uh, some of Frieza's accomplishments, right? Frieza is the guy that killed Goku's father. Goku is the main character. Killed Goku's father. He killed Vegeta. He killed Goku's best friend, Krillin. He destroyed the entire Saiyan race, which is why it's really just Goku and his son, Gohan. He is, like, the entire reason they fight on that show or that show or that comic for, like, the second half of the series. Frieza is one of the baddest bats and what I love about Frieza more than anything is I have never seen a character who cares less about anything or anybody than Frieza. Frieza gives literally the less amount of shits and fucks than any character on television, on screen, or in the comics. He does not care. And we've talked about Violator. We've talked about so many uh, Negan, so many people we've talked about in this list in last week that don't care. None of them. None of them can reach the level of not give a fuck that Frieza has. So I implore you to, if even if you don't watch the show or read the comics, just look up, look up the beauty that is the character Frieza. He sounds vile and contemptible. <laughs> yes. And which is enjoyable, correct? True. In a weird way. Yes, absolutely. Frieza. I think, I think we're just as depraved as some of these guys are. Well, sure. Absolutely. Look at it. And us. he has a tail. Yeah. What yeah. wouldn't he? I don't know. Tail the cape, right? Which which what you rocking with? He got both. Fair enough. <laughs> Noted. As 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 this as we are pushing you to check out some things, I will give Dragon Ball a second chance. Yes. I'll, I'll, so I I got to check out Frieza. So I'll ask. And, right. and, to, and to be fair, if we're speaking of this again, you speak spoke of booking. We're speaking of this in wrestling terms. 
Frieza is the baddest badge you got, and Goku is as white meat a baby face as you make. It's this is really John Cena versus CM Punk in 20, Steve, 2014, 2012. Steamboat Flair. Steamboat Flair. Yes. Only Frieza ain't the runaway type of heel. Uh, <laughs> not, not at all. Not gosh. at all. All right, well, where, are you, where are your number one, sir? Shredder, man. Shredder. I think Shredder might be the most iconic of all these guys. When you think of indie comics, when you think of when you think of the perennial villain that is not in DC and not in Marvel, most of us would think of Shredder. And your point about the fact that in the original in the original comics before all they got rebooted and sold and all this, he did not play a major part. You're factually correct, but he was the very exist reason for the existence of the turtles. Oh yeah, I, I don't deny his. Uh, I don't deny how important he was. Uh, I, you know, I, I will totally own that. I went nerd purist when I picked Krang uh, as the first, and you could have picked Baxter Stockman. So we're good. Don't don't sleep on Baxter Stockman. He's no. <laughs> No, here's here's the thing. He's no, he's no. It's so funny because again, we joke about this because it's what you see in the in the show more mm-hmm. than what you do. Like, and that's the thing that was great about Shredder is the marketing people were geniuses when they're like, "We're going to make this show. Who's going to be the real bad guy?" And they're like, "Look at this dude with blades all over his body, mm-hmm. ninja." Like they knew that was the character that people were going to embrace and be like, "This is what we want to watch." So I totally get and and comic book artists recognize that too because later on he's everywhere mm-hmm. he truly is the the nemesis but and eddie's the catalyst for the foot for the foot clan in the original right. comic he doesn't start it but i believe it's his son or his brother who in his honor starts the foot clan right yeah so you can't have the ninja turtles without the shredder absolutely i think i think that's absolutely right his history with uh with splinter also makes it makes a big element don't sleep by the way fellow bandwagoners on teenage mutant ninja turtle comic characters the books and some of those villains you know i made you made a joke about baxter stockman leatherhead who is one of my favorites he's he's the alligator mutant guy Mm -hmm. he eats krang like literally eats krang and then krang through magic whatever dimension x abilities then takes over Leatherhead's body and becomes Krang in Leatherhead's body. Like, there's just, it's bonkers stuff, but it's good stuff, and it's mature stuff. Like, if you loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid, because you're a child of the 80s or early 90s, or even now, check check out their books, because they're, they're, fun, they're fun reads. Really yeah. good reads, yeah. And I would also Correct. strongly recommend Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles team-up. is Shut up. That's good. It's not bad. It's it's actually very good. It's only fun to see Michelangelo annoy the ever loving shit out of Batman. That's worth the price of admission. Right. It is hilarious. Right. And Batman's just like fuck off. It's <laughs> just like fuck off. Yeah. There's a, a there's a famous there's a famous panel that rolls around. I can't remember what what he's saying between them. But yeah, it is it is good stuff. But absolutely a terrific number one. Thank you. Nicely done, Ray. Thank you. I feel better about my list now. Thank you. You're welcome. Are we ready to have this discussion about my number one? Yes, we are. All right. So my number one, when when, uh, full disclosure to our listeners, 
I did send out the rundown and my list this week to to the podcasters, which was funny because I sent it. And then Ray's first response was, you know, you sent us your list, right? And I was like, you are correct, sir. I did indeed send you my list because it's it's just what I do when I make the rundowns. I keep it up here so it's up in front of me and I don't forget it because I, I would do that. My number one is Adrian Vite slash Mendes from the Watchmen. Is and that how you say it? Was I saying it wrong? I think there's like seven different ways to pronounce it. Oh, okay. Uh, there's no wrong answer. Ozzy Osbourne. You, you made it. I about to say you made it sound like it's an Ozzy Osbourne, like uh, he's doing like Ozzy Osbourne cover band. I mean, there, there's Ozzy Mandius. There's Ozzy, like, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. For, for me and why I picked why I allowed myself to pick this character, because the first thing that happened and Dave, you even alluded to it earlier. Watchmen has been brought in. The Watchmen universe has been brought into the DC universe. It wasn't created as part of the DC universe. No, originally. And so uh, as an original villain, it wasn't something created out of the, out of the fountain of DC. It was created out of the twisted mind of Alan Moore, which again, if we want to talk about some messed up brains, there's an interesting one to take a deep dive into someday. And, Ray, you talked about it last week when we talked about this character in film. He he wins. At the end of the day, he succeeds. And writes the ship of what he sees as this big problem within, within America, within the world, in effectively ending the Cold War. Now, the one big difference is, is that instead of in the movie where Zack Snyder makes it all about Dr. Manhattan, it's about an alien invasion squid thing that... I thought it was hilarious that comic book purists were like angry about that. That wasn't what was brought into the movie. And I was like, that'd be me. <laughs> you wanted to see the squid thing. So, so someday we're going to fight with Dave over the squid thing, because the way that they used Dr. Manhattan and that fear of like power and nuclear weaponry and death and the, the, the concept of one of our own being too much and being the catalyst as to why, we had to do what we had to do. I thought it was brilliant. That's so too. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a terrific. That was a very unique twist on the original story in a way that felt less stupid on a screen. I I fear, and I mean Zack Snyder's known for making things look stupid on a screen. Not just saying, not saying, just saying. Drink. Pat hates um, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder's trash. Drink. Yep. The squid was dumb. But back to Adrian Veidt, he really did prove that he was the smartest man in the world, that he knew and recognized the calculus that would right the world and stop the doomsday clock from striking 12 by by creating a, a unifying threat that would then bring the world together, force the world together, even though it was done in horrific ways. And so for that, he he was my number. One. He he wins. He won. Even in losing, he won. Okay, I just wanted to ahead, jump Ray. in here real quick because uh, again, I had him my last. I had him in my last uh, in our last list. I was the only one of the three of us that had him in our last list. I think he's one of the most clever and best villains I think we've ever seen in any form of entertainment. And I don't think he really is a villain, but he is right. He's one of those for the greater good type villains, right? The only reason why it's weird we put him on this list is because I think he's so associated now 
modern with major with the major company. Sure. Right. So it's 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 almost taking the liberty that I did with M at number ten. Um, I I think it's fantastic and it's a great choice. It's absolutely a great choice. I have no qualms with the choice. It's just I would have never thought to put him on the list. So if, if you know if we're gonna do that, then 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 Dave, change your number one to Darth Vader. Well, I don't know. I don't know if Darth Vader is going to qualify, but uh... never originally <laughs> created in a comic book. Right. I mean, sure. Ozzy Mandius is like like you're saying, Ray. I didn't have him on here because he has been integrated into the major DC universe, whereas like the other Vertigo, like Preacher, is part of the you know Vertigo is part of the DC. You can go and get like. DC essential novels, graphic novels, and you'll see Watchmen's number one on there. But you'll also yep. see Fables. You'll see um, you'll see Preacher. You'll see V for Vendetta, stuff like that on there. So they're part of the greater DC universe. But yeah, for me, when they actually brought him in, and you have Watchmen characters interacting with like the prime DC characters, like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, that sort of thing. The Doomsday that's Clock. That's what it cut. Yeah, yeah. Metal and Doomsday Clock. That's when it jumped the shark for me and went into. The other one, that's the only reason I didn't have him in there. But that notwithstanding, yeah, it's a great pick. I mean, Ozymandias is, is a tremendous villain. I don't know how you don't call him a villain. Yeah, he's doing it for a, a greater good. But shit, Thanos was doing the same thing. Omni-Man was doing the same thing. You know, it's all about the greater good. They're still pricks. And Ozymandias is, is, is the ultimate prick, basically. Here's my only argument to that, because you're right. You're absolutely right. My only argument is he saved more people than the war would have than the war than the world would have saved. Because they would have had a nuclear war. That would have killed more people than Ozymandias did. Think about it. But that's kind of saying the same thing that Thanos did. No, Thanos destroyed half of the damn universe, bro. That's right. That's not the same thing. <laughs> it's not the same thing at all. <laughs> and not and not remember. Go back you got and him watch to the, lead into the microphone on that one. Yeah, right? to really jump. Yeah, and and re- remember, like the the uh, at the beginning of Endgame, after they killed Thanos, uh, at the beginning, right? It wasn't just half of all the people, half of all the life in the universe. So plants, see, li- see, li- like everything that was alive. It ain't the same, man. <laughs> it's not the same. No, it's not. But, you know, it, it is kind of like, but I mean, the problem is they were assuming that the war was going to happen. And it sure seemed like it was mm-hmm. uh, when when he decides to do all that stuff. So, yeah, maybe maybe he did save more people than he killed. Fucking Nixon, man. Nixon. All right. Well, Robert, well here President we are. Redford. We, right. We've come to <laughs> we've come to this moment. By the way, you guys have watched the Watchmen series on HBO, I hope. Not all of it. I've seen a couple episodes. I need to watch Shame more of that. I know. Seen of it. Oh, it's Dude. good. Dude, it, it won all the awards, and Regina King is fantastic. So I'm she's sure amazing. It's, it's yeah. Once you get if you finish Doom Patrol, get it get into get into the Watchmen series on HBO Max too. Totally worth it. All right, Dave, you're number one, sir. Well, no surprise here. The sp- suspense is gone. It's Negan from The Walking Dead. I, you know, <laughs> what can you say about this guy? Everything that the governor did, and you know, Alpha's her own weirdness but negan like you talk about iconic panels and the governor showing up on the tank is one thing what negan does to glenn is the kind of thing that sticks with you in your nightmares and 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 won't go away and just the obliteration of glenn in issue 100 
uh, and, that, and that's just your first introduction to him. And then you start getting an idea of just how depraved he really starts to become as it, as it goes along. And yeah, he gets redeemed to a certain extent at the end, and that's all fine and great. But just the level of bullshit that he pulls in and, and just his his modus operandi for so many issues of The Walking Dead is just nothing short of, I mean, but what pushed, I tell you, what puts Negan over the top for me is, and we all do wrestling podcasts, we've watched wrestling, he's got a level of charisma that nobody else in that comic has. And it's it's absolutely phenomenal to just watch him work, watch him pull strings, watch him manipulate people. The way he does things, especially with Rick and, and that whole, the whole all-out war thing, is nothing short of fantastic but yeah that that first <laughs> what he does to glenn is just the kind of thing that you, you don't you don't un, you can't the, unsee that the the eyeball dangling yes. out of his face and one of the things that you know we haven't talked about walking dead as a comic that's a bloody violent comic and it's in black and white and yet when you right. watch those when you when you look at those panels if you're not colorblind, you see it in color. If that makes sense, Absolutely. it's 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 the Perfect same concept. Sense. It's the same concept with like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or even The Dark Knight. We were just talking about where your mind sees so, you know, sees the violence, but you don't, you weren't actually shown the violence. Because and the fa- one of my favorite famous moments in that is uh, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is dude being put on a meat hook. You don't actually see the dude get put on the meat hook. You just know that he did, and your brain tells you that it did. You didn't see the pencil go into the guy's eye, but you know it went into his eye. And yeah, Negan is the ultimate in a societal order created through you know the horror, like because that's the difference between him and Alpha. Like Alpha creates a society. Alpha is more almost, I would argue, an evolution in her mind of where society is going and how to live amongst the walkers. Whereas Negan is more of a, this is a time like the people with power are going to wrest control and hold it with an iron fist. And I'm going to display my power to keep everyone in line. And he's just, there's, there's no remorse. It's so insidious. It's so horrible uh, until he bonds with Carl. It's, it's important to, to note that, because Negan is a Twitter force. You're absolutely right. But you mentioned Alpha has her own society. I'd argue that Alpha is Alpha runs the kind of devolving of society, whereas Negan is following more along the American kind of, not a democracy, it's really an autocracy, autocracy, but like he's kind of still trying to keep society together in his own messed up, depraved way. Alpha isn't trying to do any of that. None of that. She's just, we're just going to survive because we are the earth, the earth is us. We're already dead. Right? Um, That's the reason why I agree with you and I put Negan higher on my list than Alpha on this one, whereas I had Alpha on my last list and Negan wasn't even on it. And I think in terms of, since we're speaking strictly on the literature, just strictly the books, um, Negan is absolutely integral to the history of The Walking Dead, whereas Alpha could be considered a footnote, even though she did worse. Um, because 
you noted 100, right? Episode 100. They built up to Negan for what? 10, 11, 12 issues? Yeah, issues, yeah. Negan and Walking Dead always did really good numbers, but the Negan storyline and going into All Out War, which I think was like 30 episodes, like 30 issues later or something like that, was what made that comic completely like mainstream, like made the world know about that comic. Negan, in many ways, is the most known character in that entire show over Rick Grimes, right? So I can I completely agree with you. Negan deserves to be one, two, three at the top of this list in any indie comic villain list because he has kind of you know how music like if you're in a in a genre but you get mm-hmm. so popular you move to pop because you have you've gone across all lines. He, right. I feel like he's usurped every single box you can put him in, and is not just a great indie comic villain or a great villain or a gr- great villain in the comics or a great comic character he's just a great character irregardless of whatever medium you put him in and other than shredder he might be the only other than shredder he might be the only person on these lists who can you can put in that regard he, he's the justin timberlake of comics yeah he's yeah he broke out yeah he's, he's yeah, a breakout did you star. just compare negan to justin timberlake patrick i As did well. wow i said what i said Jeez. I mean, episode hey, 50, just taking a weird turn. Shredder episode is a 50, good... I said what I said. <laughs> Shredder is a good-looking dude outside of the helmet if you look past all the scars. Right. All right, so what we're pulling out of this episode is that I compared Negan to, to Justin Timberlake, and Ray Cash is a Shredder stand. So we got it all. Good list, fellas. I know this was a challenging list. for and, you know, And, Ray, you talked about how hard this was for, for you to hard put together. as hell. I don't think it was that much easier for Dave or my myself either. I think that it's that there's a reason that independent comics are are not as strongly known entities. They're independent. They're outside of the machine. And even with that, a lot of these companies that started as independents didn't survive on their own to the point to where they could continue to thrive today as an entity that isn't owned by one of the big two. And, you know, Dave alluded to it when he was talking about Vertigo. So even with, you know, this idea of independent comics, it's really a tough sell to find truly independent comics out there, just like it is for anything else. It's like indie films. It's it's really hard to get outside of the umbrella of the machines uh, and the, and the, the larger corporations. And so this is our plug. You know, and I know, Dave, you want to talk a little image before before we kind of wrap this up. But putting a bow on this, for me, if if these are characters, listener, that you're not familiar with, or even if they're familiar characters that you want to see the roots because uh, of where they came from, because of how they were represented on the screen, I've talked about this a lot. Get a library card. Get look into a Comicsology account. Look into an Amazon Prime account. There are so many different ways to get this stuff either physically or digitally that are available to you. When I talked about why the last man, the first, uh, the first lit uh, comic I mentioned on this list, I got the omnibus for the first half of the comic through my local public library. You know, if you pay taxes, a library card is free and a library system is free and libraries are still up and running and doing interlibrary loans, still getting books out there. And this is a great way to catch some of these characters in these independent titles. 
they're definitely worth the time and the effort to look into and do some reading. There's some great literature out there. You just got to know how to find it. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, it's very similar to, cause a lot of our listeners are pro wrestling fans, the indies in pro wrestling, you know, the, the companies that can take chances can do different sorts of things that WWE or to a lesser extent, AEW won't do it. And it's the same in comics, especially like image comics who haven't been afraid to go places where Marvel and DC really can't anymore just because they're so well known in the public eye so much, but image, like you look at stuff that the walking dead does, uh, some of the buttons that that presses, some of the stuff going on in invincible, like saga saga, excuse me, uh, which is probably images. Second best known comic run really goes into some odd places and pushes some societal buttons here and there. And that's a phenomenal series. They don't have an iconic enough villain. They've got some really good ones, but I couldn't find one that I wanted to put there. But that's like my second favorite Image comic series of all time. And and Image does a lot of stuff. Invincible's excellent. Spawn is an Image sort of uh, Image thing. Um, Ghosted is really good as well. That's another one. Outcast is really good as well. So they've just got a, a shit ton of, of good stuff out there that isn't afraid to, to go to these places that the other ones can't. You look at like the boys. I don't know who, who publishes the boys. IDW or something like that, or it might be. You know stuff that they do, or, or or what Lock and Key does, and 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 those are kind of the stories. The more I, I don't know, yeah, more mature, a little bit darker. You only get that in like the indie comics. So like 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 you're saying, Patrick, there's a wealth of tremendous stories that are different. You know, if you want to broaden your palette, so to speak, as far as your comic love goes then yeah, you got to check out Image, you got to check out Dark Horse, you got to check out IDW, and uh, Bang, I think that's another one, Dynamite's another mm-hmm. one. Those are all Wild really... Storm. Yeah, I mean, all really good, different sort of stories. Some are better than others, let's not kid ourselves, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're not a bandwagoner, if you've been with us for 50 episodes and you have now feel like you've graduated to the point that you're not a bandwagoner anymore and you want to do something more involved, then you've got to read broaden your perspective like you're saying libraries are great comicsology amazon prime you know marvel's got their own comics app. dc universe yeah. is about to morph into their switch own. over yep. yep so i mean there's a a plethora of places you can go to just read some really great different <laughs> takes on things excellent pitch i, I agree wholeheartedly so that's going to do it for this week's edition of the villain project our top 10 comic book villains from independent comics next week we jump into the mainstream we're going to start with our good friends over at dc comics our top 10 dc comic villains of all time that should be interesting to hear i'm looking for i'm looking for some guys that maybe i'm not going to think of or gals that i'm not going to think of because again my experience is a little more limited when it comes to this sort of stuff. Before we go, it's time for Patrick O'Dowd as a question. Going to stick with the Halloween theme. Things are getting a little spooky around here at the O'Dowd household when you got kids. That's how it works. Uh, and in particular, we started pulling out uh, the the kind of the classic Halloween movies and specials. And we talked about like kind of your go to scary flicks as a kid or uh, as an adult. What I want to talk about now is. What movies freaked you out as a kid and would be Halloween time movies that would freak you out? I'll go first. This really hit me this week because HBO Max dropped its new edition, uh, a remake 
of the uh, reimagining, I should say, of the Roald Dahl book, The Witches. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s, the Jim Henson Company put out a a telling of The Witches starring Angelica Houston with some really scary creature and makeup effects to, to a small child. And that movie I loved gave me the heebie-jeebies, though. Bunch of witches trying to turn children into a mouse for no other reason than they hate children. That's it. That's that's it. They just they hate children and they want to destroy them. They stink to, to witches and they just they want to kill them all, get rid of them all. So they try to turn them into mice. And this little boy who turns into a mouse with the help of his grandmother tries to defeat the witches. Used to the makeup effects used to freak me out. So, gentlemen, I turn to you, Mr. Cash. Go first. So before I say the movie that that ruined me as a child, um, I do want to shout out the trailer because the movie wasn't scary, but the trailer is probably the scariest trailer I've ever seen in my life. The trailer was so scary that like when I would see it on TV, I changed the channel. I'm talking even as the older person. Okay. There, there was a movie, man, I can't remember who was in it, but it was called White Noise. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember the, the, the movie was not scary at all, but the trailers was like they would always come on late at night and it was just <sighs> and like you'd hear like random faint voices talking and it, 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 it terrified the hell out of me but i grew up it's it's hilarious because i'm a i'm a pastor's stepson my mom married a pastor so right. after so long we couldn't watch it no more but i grew up we grew up halloween was our shit we'd watch i watched the exorcist at the ripe age of 6 like, <laughs> this is what we did. This stuff didn't scare me because it's what we time. did. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we want to get together and enjoy time with the mom, throw on the scariest movie we could find. But the movie that got me was The Sixth Sense. Ruined my life. The reason why it ruined my life is because every child is scared of dead people. But there's a part in the movie where Haley Joel Osment says, you know that part? You know that time where you hear the, you feel the hair sticking up on the back of your neck? That's them. And literally the hair was on the back of my neck. And I was like, oh, shit, they got me. They're right behind me. It's over. Mom, save me now. Six cents, brother. Dave, what about you, man? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's two that stand out to me. Uh, one is like the original Friday the 13th, and specifically Kevin Bacon's death scene. Where the, where oh, the arrow the hand, through the throat, man. Right, because... When I was a kid, and my bed had a big drawer underneath it that, in my mind, I always thought she could fit in there. She could be under there. And that, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I would pull the drawer out to look and see what was under there. That's where all my comics were, just to make sure. But Ray mentioned the other one. The one that really fucked me up was The Exorcist. Because, I mean, I watched that when I was a kid, and, 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 it's, and it's worse for me than it might be for other people because of where I grew up which was not far from where the actual possession took place. And my stepfather actually did the work, like some of the work in the house where they filmed the exorcist. And he would tell me that there's some weird shit that was going on at that place. And Georgetown is not, was like five miles from where I grew up. So, but all that notwithstanding, it's just the idea of not being in control of your own body, being possessed by a demon and just some of the stuff that they did. I tell people a lot of like modern people, like I know people who watch the exorcist now and they just don't find it scary at all. 
and I don't get it because to me it was always a psychological attack on you. It wasn't so much jump oh, the, scares or any of that shit. Yeah, it's it's about the imagery in that movie. Yeah, it, it very just much so. Like getting, the hidden hidden faces and shadows. Even the even like the weird like the spider walk scene that you see in the attended in the extended edition. Yes, um, but I I think there's two reasons why people don't it doesn't hit people as much as it does now. One, because so much of the country or the world right now are not religious. So if you're not religious, right. there there's definitely a, a part of it that if you're religious that hits you harder than if you're not. And two, we've been desensitized. So right. much of what we see now is like so much worse than The Exorcist. But to your point, The Exorcist, there are, you walked when when she's, when they're downstairs and the mom is on the phone in the, uh, in the kitchen and she turns the light off and you see the devil's face for like a second and it goes away. That's the stuff that you got to watch a couple times that'll right. hit you and that will stick with you all night long. And I mean, you're talking 1974. I mean, now by yeah. modern standards, we're way desensitized. 74, forget it. No one had seen any of that kind of, sh- and not, I mean, I'd right. say not until maybe 94, you weren't really desensitized. Mm-hmm. I mean, for 20 years, that movie just really messed me up. I mean, just cause I mean, it got in your speaking, head and it stuck there. Speaking of Max von Sydow. Um, yes. Father Merritt. I, I, you know, Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th, one of the all-time greatest jump scares ever at the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. Ranks right up there with the jump scare at the end of Carrie, uh, in my opinion. Just the, the, like that last little gotcha. For me, it, the original Halloween, always, I love I love to be scared when in films where it's a building tension to to a big release sort of thing. And that's what I always loved about Halloween, even though it scared me to death as a kid. Because if you go back and watch the original Halloween, it's not a violent film. Like it's not a slasher flick in the in the sense of a slasher movie. For God, uh, you know, an hour of that film, it's just Jamie Lee Curtis going through her life, seeing Michael Myers all over the place. And you don't even know why you're seeing him. Like, like you don't know what his motivation is. He's just there. And it's it's one of those things like she looks out the window of her classroom and there he is standing in the in the schoolyard. She looks away. She looks back and he's gone. He drives by her in the car. He's like Batman. And, and it's, he's there and it's and not he's gone. even <laughs> well, the, thing, the thing in particular I loved about the scene I'm describing is that. If you're not looking for him, you could actually miss him because John Carpenter is focused on Jamie Lee Curtis and her classmate. They're walking down a sidewalk after school. They're just having a conversation. So you're you're talking, you're watching them, you're engaged with them, and he drives by in the stolen psych ward vehicle, and you're like, oh shit, there he goes. And that's just like you know he's coming and that and he's gonna be there and he's gonna cut he's gonna come after you the other one that uh got me all the time the original night of the living dead mm. okay. uh just just the uh the the i love a good old zombie flick where the zombies are slow but relentless i hate fast zombies love the slow but re- like part of the reason why i like walking dead is because the zombies don't go running at you at like 90 miles an hour to tear you up it's a slow plotting tension they're never going to stop coming after you, no matter how many of you, you of them you destroy. And eventually you're going to get worn out and die. And that is great. It's scary to me. 
You know, that's interesting to me because both of you guys said movies about plotting um, villains, right? Friday the 13th. Right. Jason doesn't run. He's just going to come. Michael Myers is the slowest fucking walker in the history of the movies. And he's going to no come hurry. get you. And he just gets up. But I'm interested that neither of you said Freddy Krueger because Freddy got Freddy gets you in the one place where you can never run in your dreams. I guess for me, Freddy's kind of silly though. Like I, you know, in, in terms of why he didn't scare me, like because it, it it's like a it's like a gleeful silly, but like it's still kind of like it's it's your nightmare. But it's like he's killing you with silly miners. You know, uh, as he's doing like he's dropping puns. I, I, I will say Wes Craven. Um, that scene in the bathtub where the claw comes out of the bathtub. Terrifying. That's a great scene. Just a terrific, terrific scene. Or the scene where the girl is flying in the air while the boyfriend wakes up and he's like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on? And she's getting stabbed to death like that? Come on, bro. I'm sorry. I I mean, but he's having fun while he's doing it. He's like, wee, I got a good time while he's he's killing me. Can I add one? I would have pulled Johnny Depp into a bed. Can I add add one scene that just popped into my head? Salem's yeah. Lot. If you ever watch mm-hmm. the original Salem's Lot on TV, Danny Glick, the fucking vampire at the window, clawing and asking to be let in. Man, that fucked me up so bad. Because I had a, I had a, my bedroom was on like the second story, and there's yeah. no way that you could, you know, there was like a little teeny, like a half inch ledge, brick ledge, and I swear, man, one night I heard something knocking at the window, and <laughs> dude. I was face down. I did not turn over. I sat sat there face down for two hours. I'm like, I'm not looking out there to see what was. Again, the windows are open, but and I blame that solely on Salem's Lot. Now, whether there was something out there or not, I don't care if I ever know. But you know, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Can I get matter. one more too? Last, last, last one, and then we'll roll I'm sorry. Out all right, because no, I, I can talk. We can talk about this shit all day. This is this may be, and no, I'm not trying to be funny, but this may be an age thing. But when I grew up. The um, Goosebumps books were big, right? Yeah. Goosebumps World. Anything that involves a damn ventriloquist dummy scares the living shit out of me. <laughs> Slappy the dummy, because if you listen quiet when, like, at night, you might hear little, just a little pitter patter, and like in the movies or the TV shows, that's his ass running around. <laughs> it, it's, so yes, so the Salem's Lot thing reminded me because I don't need to know. What it was, just don't don't tell go, me. Go away. Go away. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Those are the movies that give us the heebie-jeebies, the creepy crawlies, the zzz. good times. Thank you guys for sharing. I hope you don't need any therapy after this. You know, to talk through your your feelings, your problems, Dave. Just for you, Probably I'm going so. to watch. I'm going to watch the Let Me In scene. Uh, I just brought it up on YouTube just to just to jump down memory lane. But good time. That's going to do it for this week's edition of, of Bandwagon Nerds. Why don't we uh, go around the horn real quick, tell people where to find us. Ray went first last week, so Dave, you're kicking us off. Yeah, I just want to say Salem's Lot's underrated as hell. But you can check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Mr. Ray Cash. Uh, you can find me at It's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H as in them dollars. And you can find me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. Also, make sure you follow the show at Bandwagon Nerds, just like it's spelled, no missing letters. This week, we are going to put our lists up uh, for folks and recommend some comic books. So, gentlemen, 
little bit of homework. Shoot me an email with your list so I can remember them. We'll put them up on the Twitter feed uh, tomorrow when the show drops. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Hope you all enjoyed it. It's been 50 great episodes, two episodes away from our one-year anniversary show. Now, get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, and support your local independent comic book. Because, damn it, there's some good stuff, too. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. (laughs) Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Later. I like to play with things a while before annihilation. <laughs>